In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, anytime you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six months free of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are, even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Here's how the New York Times has described my guest today. A full-fledged Broadway star, Broadway's reigning ingenue, Broadway's golden girl, and luminous. Three different Times writers called her luminous three years in a row. It's hard to avoid repetition when it comes to my guest today, because Kelly O'Hara is luminous. As you can hear in this clip from South Pacific, she is one of the greatest sweet-voiced and infinitely bankable Broadway stars of her generation. I'm as corny as Kansas in August, high as a flag on the 4th of July. If you'll excuse an expression I use, I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love with a wonderful guy. She worked hard to get there. O'Hara grew up in rural Oklahoma. At 18, she convinced legendary voice teacher Florence Birdwell to take her on as a protege, as Kristen Chenoweth did before her. After graduation, she toiled in the trenches in Wichita and in New York as an understudy. She exudes gratitude for how far she's come. The thing is, though, despite the Tony, Despite selling out Broadway and the West End in South Pacific, The King and I, Kiss Me Kate, and more, Kelly O'Hara gets tired of being luminous. I made choices to make a living. Uh, a commercial musical on Broadway is a financial living that is um, that was more than I expected growing up on a farm in Western Oklahoma. I didn't take the when I did the public. It was a financial. It was financially difficult. Okay. Um, and so to go do the little, to, not that I've been asked or even ha- called in for an audition, but to do those little things or wait for the, you know, the TV job or do one day of a, a guest artist f- for nothing on a TV show, I've never been able to afford to do that. So I keep saying yes to the commercial Broadway musical. And the thing is, is um, if I have to make those choices, they have to be really, really great for me. Believe me, if anyone had believed in me that I could play something that was a little bit more gritty than I'm in love with a wonderful guy, I would have jumped at it any time in my past. I will never stop wanting to do a play or a theater. Theater, I should just say theater. I've always wanted to do a play. I've only been asked to do a play like once. You know, people say, why don't you want to do, you know, do more things? I'm not a star. I, I, I'm not 
you know, maybe in musical theater, whatever you say that, in a certain bubble, but not even outside of this range. Did you study acting as well? Was acting a big... Did you? It, it was musical theater you studied? No, I got an opera degree because that's what my teacher wanted. In Oklahoma? Yes, yes. With Florence Birdwell, the premier voice teacher there, and um, wanted my whole life to study with her. So that's what I did. Did you break Florence Birdwell's heart when you moved from voice to the theater? You know... I was on a track to do opera, and I've since done some opera and just found very lovely people. But in in that moment, in my senior year of college, doing the Met audition circuit, I met ugly people. It was not for me. If I'm going to make art, or if I'm going to make art, whatever that is, if I'm going to do something that is expressive and communicative with my voice, I love to do it with people and feel things. And I just literally, I remember saying, I want to be an actor. I don't want any part of that solo ego thing. That's not who I am. I want to go inside things and live in them, pass the ball. And if it gets passed back to me, I'm going to be paying attention and I'm going to catch it. But I'm going to pass it back off quickly. That is exciting to me. And I walked into her room one day and I said, I told her, I had told her, I'm not going to go to grad school. I'm not going to go to grad school. We had filled out all the applications for American Vocal Academy and everything. And I said, I'm going to move to New York. I'm going to go to acting school and I'm going to be a real actor. And I remember I walked in one day and she held up the application to AVA and she looked me in the eye and she ripped it in two. And she said, go live, go do what you're going to do. And honestly, she's more of that person too. So I didn't break her heart. I think I just surprised her. Um, and she has supported me ever since. But I, I uh, went to Strasbourg for acting here in the city right when I moved, literally that fall, because I felt that insecurity, the idea that when you're an opera singer, there is no acting ability in there. I wanted so badly to be an actor, and I still so badly want to be a better actor. But I went to Strasbourg because I needed to have that um, for myself, you know what I mean? Even if I thought, oh, I can get in, into musicals maybe and act okay. I needed it. I needed that label. Honestly. What's the one you did where there was some real acting you had to do in that piece? Um, you know, I must, I must have thought everything was like a, a major acting. I'll tell you what, I, the, the show that I didn't feel like I knew what I was doing or that I didn't speak up as an actor, which was Sweet Smell of Success, which was my first big role, uh, with Lithgow and Brian Dasha James and stuff. And I look back at that as the time when I said, either shit or get off the pot. Like, do it, speak up for yourself, or stop this business. I was trying to lean on my singing and kind of felt like I was in a straitjacket and didn't make any choices. It wasn't until things like, you know, the, the Bridges of Madison County might have asked for me to be the most unlike myself. Mm-hmm. That was way late in the game. I had already done South Pacific and other things. But um, that was the one where I felt like I've been here for a while. I've learned a few things. I'm going to trust myself. It's interesting how, uh, for myself included, uh, when I got into the business, and nowhere was this more... Uh, laid bare than when I would do plays was how much I wanted to please people and therefore I didn't want to impose my ideas and say, well, I want to do this and I want to do this. I walked in there going, what do you want me to do? 
mm-hmm. and I wanted everybody to direct me, and I was I was afraid. Uh, and then when I got into the world, even in small roles, supporting roles in films with legendary directors like Mike Nichols, you realize that on this Mount Olympus, it was the opposite. They were all looking at you like, well, what do you got? What do you want to do? That's why you're here. I hired you because of your instincts. And do you find there was a bit of that of you? That one point, does Kelly O'Hara turn around and go, I got this. I know what I want to do. Absolutely. What show? I really think that it was The Bridges of Madison County where I said, I'm going to speak up for myself. I'm going to try to find my way in. And any smart director, anyone who's confident enough in their abilities will say, yes, it's going to be only better if if it's more natural from you, if it's coming from you. Use your voice. You know, I'm going to listen as opposed to being threatened by that. Um, That first job that I mentioned, Sweet Film Success, the girl before me had been fired in the workshops. So I walked in so fearful. It was my first role on Broadway that I would be fired. And I also felt like I would be. And these people have already got it wrong once. That's, you know. And now you're walking in. And I was walking in and and it was that atmosphere too. It felt very much like nobody quite had control. Tense. And um, I learned so much. Who directed that show? Nick Heitner. And it was a bad time. It was right after 9-11. Anyway, um, I promised myself I would never do that again. I remember actually having a conversation in a rehearsal where I was starting to feel that where there was a a sexual scene between the my leading man and we were doing something and I've really never told this story uh, and we're just going to start with it. And Nick said, you know, stop, stop. You look like you're mothering him. And I knew that wasn't me. And I said, I know how to touch a man. I know what I'm doing. And I stood up for myself for the first, like literally the first time, and it had to do with just being a human being, a woman. And I, and I felt that in my core. I felt like, no, I, there is something I can bring here. I might not be what you want or what other people expect or envision, but if you, if you have any sense of your own humanity or self, that's what you bring, you know, if you can access it. I, I literally have to take most of my questions down and throw them in the garbage because I was expecting a kind of Julie Andrews-esque ride with you. I know what you were you, expecting. And you said mm-hmm. shit and going off the pot. You said, I know how to touch a man. My interview with Kelly O'Hara is going, we're, we're veering off and we're off-roading here completely. <laughs> we're going off into territory I was unprepared to go for. So yeah. I, I'm ready, though. I'm ready. Okay. Um, but here's what's interesting to me is that, I'll just get this out of the way, which is in the world that you typically inhabit, you're out there and it's a fantasy and they want it to be beautiful. And they want to be, and then, then out you come, this famous award-winning singer in the theater. And when you come out there, do you feel like that's the obligation? Is like you're hosting an event, and you've got to give these people this magical evening? I know what you're talking about. There is an obligation. Right. This is what we do, and you do in order to just you know get up and do it every night for eight shows a week for twenty years. You have to tell yourself. I heard once uh, someone say it's either someone's first time seeing this theater at all or it's someone's last time. And so it gives you this kind of uh, reason to be, I guess, because otherwise you're literally thinking of the grocery list sometimes Mm -hmm. when you've sung a song 175 times, you know, and you have to kind of find a way to connect. I think that I do this for very personal reasons. I don't know why it bit me a long time ago because I wasn't raised around any of it. so sometimes I think about that obligation, and sometimes I I lose myself in it in a weird way. Like, I, I've actually tried to have, you know, I try to dig deep and say, 
what does this do to you that's different, I think, sometimes than what other it does to other people? I guess I learn from it. I kind of fall into it. Even, even after eight shows a week, I find myself kind of dealing with all of this, all of my innards out there. And I think maybe it's because I... Have you ever been I, so overwhelmed when singing a song you almost broke down crying? I, that's, I do. I do all the time. And it's so... And it can be a song I've sung a thousand times. And something will just... Uh, it's how I filter. It's how I process, I think. And it's why I'm not quite tired of it. It's why I'm not quite jaded by it. Sometimes I am. But for the most part, I find that I go inside it, maybe, as opposed to just dealing with it all out here. You said that you didn't grow up around this. What did your dad do? He was a farmer. <laughs> Literally. Did you just laugh? You no, laugh. no, I just, I just love that. <laughs> you <laughs> laughed and then cleared. <laughs> you were this queen of Broadway, and your father's a farmer. What did he farm? We farmed wheat, cattle, and cotton. It was in western Oklahoma, a very small town that he grew up and my mother. They met in the eighth grade. My dad went back to school when he was 40. He went to law school. It was his dream. And he changed our lives. I was 16 when he graduated law school. And so my last two years of high school, we had moved to the big city of Oklahoma City. Right. And then I was off to college. What happened to the farm? Uh, my His brother con- continues to be there. He's my dad's. So they my, kept it. Yes. And my dad and my brother still run cattle and they're still friends. And your father practiced what kind of law? They, He and my brother practiced together. They, they practiced estate tax, oil and gas law because he was a farmer. My dad's first big case was fighting like Phillips. Petroleum. Their land had been kind of uh, ruined by the oil drilling mm-hmm. and stuff. And my dad represented the farmers. He's a do-gooder. He is a do-gooder. Yeah. And your mom? School teacher. But what subject? Uh, social studies. It was my dad. Huh. My dad taught social studies. A dear friend of mine, Jeff Ambrosini, who I went to high school with, I grew up with him. Uh, he and his wife uh, uh, were in the world you're in, you know, you know, uh, striving. And then uh, he was, she was from Norman, and they upped and left and moved to Oklahoma, and not only for her to be near her mother, but they got more work in that area than they did in New York. Huh. Um, I have a really good friend that's back there teaching voice, and she does cabaret. She performs in the shows when they're there. And um, New York was like air for me, like the first time I breathed. I remember running down. I was 21, and I remember running down Fifth Avenue, darting in between people with my backpack on, like I was in a car, like I was in rush hour. Yeah. I was alive. I was alive for the first time. And I don't know. You really believe that? I, I knew it. What was it about you that felt that way? This is the mountain you wanted to climb? Yes, and because I loved the vast number of people, different types of people, I somehow didn't even matter. Who cares what I did? When you grow up in a small town, I was, you know, riddled by... um, I had a really good upbringing. I mean, I did. It was a safe... But I was kind of riddled by the feeling of being different a little bit. I was a chubby kid or whatever. And, and there was Were this, you really? I was. I was a chubby kid. And there was this kind of feeling of, but I still did gymnastics and I still did flips and I still sang. And there was this feeling of, you can't do that, you know, or I just felt like there was this kind of cap, you know, of don't try to do anything special or, and I, it wasn't so much like, I'll show you. It was more just like, I, I, need the, I need the quiet. I need that all to be quiet. And you just come up here, and whether you make it or not, no one's really on your back about it. You're just doing it, you know? I've always loved the acceptance. You know, like whatever you're into, people are like, wow, 
your, yeah. uh, you know, whatever your thing is. Now, Scott Ellis, who I'm friendly with, I went to go visit him at a rehearsal. And I was, I don't want to say appalled, but I was mildly shocked by the mechanics of the rehearsal of the Broadway musical. Yes. I couldn't believe. <laughs> it was like I was at Boeing. <laughs> and they were putting a jet plane together, how technical it was. Mm. And people were there like, okay, again. And they're like, ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba
pace, tempo, how you transition from scene to scene, which is the director's uh, choice, has to also be supported by musical interludes that time just right. So it's a uh, it's a big team. It's not just doesn't sit still. It continually moves. Broadway star Kelly O'Hara, another great Broadway leading lady, is Patti Lupone. Her breakthrough role was as Ava Perone in Evita. But on opening night in New York, she didn't know how legendary her performance would become. I threw up in the sink before I sang Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. I got extremely bad notices opening in L.A. and extremely bad notices opening in San Francisco. There was an article coming out in Susie Knickerbocker's column the next day that I was going to be fired and that Actors' Equity was waiting to clear Elaine Page to take my place. I'm dealing with all of this press of me being fired and me not being able to sing the part and still going on for my Throwing up in the sink. And Hal came to me and said, we're going to laugh about this in 20 years, Patty. The rest of my interview with Patty Lapone is in our archives at heresthething.org. Kelly O'Hara returns after the break. Hi, I'm Alec Baldwin. Don't you think it's cool to care? Carrie Yuma knows fast fashion's not sustainable and decided to spin that conscious mindset to create high-quality, low-impact sneakers. Their best-selling Akka style is the perfect, durable sneaker for dressing up or down, pairing a fresh look with broken-in level comfort. Akka is made with organic cotton canvas and ethically sourced rubber, and every pair comes with Karayuma's signature cork and Mamona oil insoles. Akka's already found its way into my summer shoe rotation. Find your pair and choose from a range of bold and beautiful colors. Right now, there's 15% off at C-A-R-I-U-M-A dot com slash Alec. With how much we rely on our devices, it's easy to forget about the hardware we're born with. Take ears. Like fingerprints, your ears are totally unique. Too bad your earbuds aren't. Unless you've got Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Custom Fit Earbuds. Ultimate Ears Fits offer premium sound and all-day comfort. Their groundbreaking lifeform technology guarantees a perfect fit in only 60 seconds. Just put in the earbuds, connect to the app, and watch as the purple LEDs form the earbuds to your unique shape. With 8 hours of continuous playback on a single charge and up to 20 hours with the charging case, Ultimate Ears Fits are the perfect choice for listening to your favorite music and podcast all day long without pain or discomfort. For a limited time, get 15% off above the current offer of your pair of Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Earbuds at ue.com slash fits. Just use promo code FITS at checkout. That's 15% off the current offer with promo code FITS at ue.com slash Bits. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Kelly O'Hara has been at the top of the Broadway game for almost 20 years. Some things have stayed the same, while others are unrecognizable. Yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest ones isn't even a stage thing. I remember I was doing South Pacific. I got pregnant with my first child. I left to have him, and I came back to do my next Broadway show. I remember them having a meeting in rehearsal about social media, about filming, what you could and couldn't film, what you could and couldn't post. And literally the show before that show, the idea of having anyone come inside your rehearsal room 
and sharing it with anybody but your team, your no, family. No, 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 no. I I thought they were joking. Like I literally thought I was being, you know, maybe candid camera or something, being punked. I was kind of horrified. Now, I can be old-fashioned. I'm made fun of by all my friends because I, I still kind of live in that place of how dare you? How dare you share this problem with the world yeah. so that they can be a part of our that because what we bring to we need them that to sell tickets well yeah. that's um, is that yeah. what we're leaning on or are we going to lean on right. this craft right. so that i had to really get used to because then everyone started filming all of the rehearsals and they said oh this is only to teach the choreography or whatever bs yeah. you know that's going to be somewhere and then there's going to be the commentary and then then that's going to affect decisions why don't we trust ourselves? You know, so I actually had to get used to that part of theater. When you do these shows, do you have a casting approval sometimes? I mean, you know, maybe a They're little. They're going to make you do it with somebody you don't want to do it with. No, not anymore. And I mean, all the way back to Light in the Piazza, I sat in on the auditions for Fabrizio, the guy I played, I loved, and um, which is always great. Who played the lead opposite you? Uh, Matthew Morrison. It's always great to kind of feel, but you never see the thing is, is that you might shoot yourself in the foot because you might think that you want to work with somebody and you might be pleasant. I think you don't. Or yeah. think you don't. Mm -hmm. And then really be pleasantly surprised by how someone, how someone works is or comes off is very different how they normally are sometimes. Um, I've, I've been pretty lucky. Almost everyone across the board has been pretty great to work with for the most part, you know. And sometimes I got a choice and sometimes I didn't. I have found that uh, you know, Pacino had the great line. I interviewed Pacino I a know. million years ago for, your for, for your, my college yes, paper. Yes. I can't believe you know that. I listen to your podcast. <laughs> I did. Uh, that's very funny. <laughs> and, and Pacino uh, said to me that he didn't get involved in the casting. He kept his focus on himself and did his own thing and let everything take care of itself. Do you sit there and go, it doesn't matter who the guy is? No, that's, you know, it might not matter so much in film, although you really need to make something with somebody. But there's, you're, you're you know, you're getting a close up, you're getting different angles. I think in theater, there's an element of actually kind of being a little bit as opposed to start and stop, catching some sort of specific thing. In theater, you're kind of having two hours of maybe being together. And if there was someone I just really didn't like or didn't respect. How do you manage that? God. To the extent that there were people who you loved them less than other people you worked Let's with. Let's put it that when, way. When you did that, it's just something where you, you just have to find a way to just get through it. Yeah, but I'm terrible at that. I'm so emotional about it that I would just, maybe not to their, I mean, I would just come in my dressing room and just scream and throw things into a pillow. When, I, when you let me borrow your dressing room, I could see there were a lot of dents in the wall and a lot of holes in the wall. Although this woman's yeah. really, she's wild. No. She's, a, she's a fire cat. Listen, I mean, when you have to pretend like you love somebody, it's, and they're playing, you know, and this was this wasn't Kiss Me Kate, which is that dressing room. But when they're, you know, you're doing a musical comedy or a musical theater piece, and someone wants to think they're doing Macbeth, or you know, they're they're Willie Loman or something, and you're like, come on, you know, right. we all take this very seriously, and we're doing our best, but come on, <laughs> get over it, you know that that pisses me off. Who's the guy you did Kiss Me Kate with? Uh, Will Chase. Now, I thought, we just had a blast. I, I loved him. We just had a blast. I, I say, never had to throw things about Will. <laughs> right. yeah. All the holes in the wall were about something else. Yeah, I guess. The, the, um, uh, uh, I loved him. I loved him. He glowed with a warmth and a, and a masculinity in mm -hmm. him. Like he, he had it all. Like a lot of guys want to do the masculinity thing and they lose the glow. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then there's guys who come on and they just have, they have it all. He was fantastic. Don't cut this out. I want him to hear this and I'm going to tell him to listen because I mean, I think he kind of got us you know a bad rap for somehow he didn't quite get acknowledged and i and i 
I just I, I just thought he 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 really was such a sweetheart. From the minute he came on stage, I was great. like, whoa! I said, this guy's great. Yeah. Um, what's the last straight play you did? Uh, King Lear. And you did. The- <laughs> 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 I'm looking at you. I mean, I just love this. This is why we're so glad you're here. I'm looking at you. When I think you, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. Then I go, what do you do after that? King Lear. That's exactly what I did. How does that that happen? Um, I desperately wanted to do something besides I was going to wash that man right out of my hair. I mean, listen, exactly what you assume. Uh, And I think that's why Julie Andrews, you said Julie Andrews. Well, Julie Andrews just throws F-bombs and curses all the time. She's that's she's I think she must have done that. Not only her upbringing, but you get so sick and tired of what you feel is an assumption about yourself, even if it's true, even if there's a little bit of that. And I won't apologize for being, you know, so goddamn happy to be in love in my shows or so genuinely sincere. I won't apologize for that because it's, it's what I love to do. I love to go inside something and really try to make yeah, it When believable. I first met you, I was surprised. You remind me more of like Bob Hoskins than Julie Andrews. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this chick is tough. Well, I don't know if I, well, whatever it is. You're tougher than I thought you were. Thank you. Um, I'll take that. But I I just, I think that you, I I wanted to act. I wanted to do Shakespeare. Um, You did it where? I did it the public. Sam Waterston was our Lear. It was not a well-received production. There were lots of things about it. And when you're doing it, what was it like for you? I mean, I think that it was very strangely... uh, uh, imagined it uh, when you're sitting in note sessions and there's no conversation coming back from the director um, who has never done a Shakespeare play, but also just um, when you make the choice to just be silent and never say anything because maybe you don't know what to say, you, your actors start to get a little uncomfortable and get wind of maybe it's not so much just silence and and listening it's more it's not deference <laughs> yeah. it's ignorance it's, well right. and and we had great people in the cast it's where i met my great friend arian moyed who i can conti- i love continu- him i've continued to work with and love him. me too so i think that it was a great experience but it was not well received and sam who's so wonderful and we all know his shakespeare abilities he choked on an apple the night before our first preview for 30 minutes it went down his windpipe the next night he had no voice, like zero voice. And so we had to cancel. And we, But the next night it was so raw and broken. And then we had to do the show eight shows a week every night. He never regained his voice. He never. No. So it was and Bill Irwin played The Fool, which was all really fun. You know, we had these great, great, top people. great top people. And um, it just it wasn't it just didn't come together. I mean, you know, at the time we, we were hoping it would. But. Did you do much Shakespeare prior to that? <clears throat> no. I mean, I was the person with, like, raising my, like, asking questions, listening to every single thing, walking in the door with no, and this is how I handle myself, with no pretense, no assumptions that I'm going to be great. It's all about, I just wanted to hear, I wanted to learn, I wanted to listen. Um, I did the same thing with the opera. It's like, I just want to do these things. If I fall on my face, I guess at this point I fall on my face. But I just, I cannot be doing one thing with all the assumptions. Were there moments you sat there and go, I want to do more of this? Yeah. You know, something oh, definitely. Different. And I've just what's, been... a, what's a part you want to do now? What's a piece? Of, I'm sure there are several, but what's an example of one you're dying to do? Well, I mean, Rosalind or, you know, I, I think there have been a couple Not of... Not even Shakespeare. Uh, oh, Shakespeare. Uh, yeah, sure. You know what I really, I really would love to do is I would love to venture into these kind of great American... Pl- Not 
who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, but these these living room American stories um, or something more contemporary, August Osage County, you know, these family stories. As you're sitting here, I have so many ideas for you. Well, do something with me. Yeah, um, I have so many ideas. Do you find that because you have this very well-established and very successful career that you just weren't interested in chasing movie roles and TV roles? I got this. I mean, yeah, I think also I had such, I had big dreams, in my opinion, but growing up, you didn't, I didn't know about all this. I didn't know. I And I loved musicals the most because I was watching movie musicals, not live ones even. But I wasn't thinking Hollywood. I wasn't thinking that kind of thing. And so I moved here. I started to do it. And I guess I probably felt so like... I'm doing this. I got this is what I always wanted. And so there was this weird part of me that put a cap on, well, you know, that would be selfish to want more. Um, but then, of course, you realize it's all part of it. It's all part of what you want to do. And and I started auditioning little bits, but I would be doing eight shows a week, the shows at night, going in for two seconds. And it really, at that point in my career, 20s, early 30s, it really kind of, I would walk in and it was just about what I looked like. I could feel it. I could see the other women in the room. And it started to put a dark thing inside me. Why? Because uh, I'm blonde. It, it, it was a. I was going in for those things. Are you pissed off about the career you could have had if you weren't a leading lady? I mean, listen. Yeah, I'm grateful. Would I have had a career if I didn't? Would you come have had in, a different career? Well, a different. Um, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, let me just let me say this. I I did start working. I did get a kind of a big TV show. What show did you do? I didn't get to take it. This was a really pivotal point in my life. I was doing a Broadway show. What show? Nice work if you can get it. Mm -hmm. And the L.A. studio agreed to shoot me Mondays and Tuesdays. They were going to work around my schedule. It was the third lead. Ran five years. Big success. I had some producers playing God. And just said, I can't do it. We're going to sue you. We won't let you do it. And I am stubborn. And I mean, it was, it was conversation over. And my way of dealing with it, as opposed to, well, then F you, I'm going to, you know, leave all you guys and go take this, was, it's not meant to be. I'm never going to audition for television again. This is where I belong. I'm supposed to do musicals. It's all I can do. It's the only thing I'm, you know, able to do. And I didn't audition for like four years after that. And it, and it, it it's in here. Were you miserable the entire time? They- no. Okay. So no, that was actually a really fun time. But I was miserable in my little stomach at the people who'd made decisions for me like that, that I couldn't get out of. And if it had been one show before with different producers who get it, that this is a career and that you, you give a little to get a little. I would have, anyway. So I don't find regrets on that because I have to get over that resentment, I guess. And then I start doing little things here and there. And I meet Arian Moyed. Right. And he writes a web series. And I do the kind of work I want because it's small. It's no money. He teaches me about lenses. He teaches me about close-ups. He teaches me about the things I never would have known. And I would have gone and done television without any knowledge gets me an Emmy nomination, and then I start getting things little by little after that. They're not that thing, and maybe it will lean into something else. But I will always be the person who thinks, maybe I'm done with all this. Maybe I'm just going to live in Connecticut and raise my kids. What's it like for you as a mom and every night you're Uh, out there? Yeah. How did you manage that? 
I've only managed, but I don't. It's not easy, and it's no success. And, oh, the kids come in and do the city, have the oh, dinner yeah. with you, they and come the, in. then they go home. When we when we were in the city, they came between shows every time. Of course, I, you know, nursing, doing everything yeah. you have to during the show. And you left lumping, the city what year? Uh, four years ago. Oh, so you left the city not that long ago. Yeah, well, I didn't know that. Um, so when the ba- when the kids were babies, we were here. I couldn't have done it otherwise because they had we yeah. had I had to feed them, you know, all this. Yeah. Stuff. Um, it's getting harder as they get older because they notice more. They want more from me. They yeah. they need more from me, and I want to give it to them. So I didn't really do again? ten and six. Wow! I didn't do a show after the King and I f- until until last year. I did a very short run of Kiss Me Kate, and that short run was really tough. It was really tough. I'm gone. They come home from school. There's a little bit of time, and then I have to get in so I can be here early, do my yoga, do my quiet, do do everything that I do. Um, so that that was difficult, but I these are times and they come and they go. Shooting a television show, I'm flying to San Francisco, I'm gone for days at a time, I'm missing birthdays. That's worse. Horrible. The thing Horrible. about a Broadway show, the only you know the thing I can say about it that's doable is that it's consistent. So I know they know what time mom's you leaving. Schedule. I wake up with them every morning. You know that's when people say, "How are you doing it?" Well, the alternate is sometimes much harder. If you're lucky, you're in bed at midnight. Midnight, and that's and then waking up for the bus because I got to see them. Yeah. At six thirty. I've been there. And then I would go back to sleep, kind of waste your day yeah. or whatever until they get home off the bus, but. You just do it, and I, I. It doesn't sound too glamorous, but you do it because I want to try to do it for them. And do you protect your voice during the day when you're singing on stage? You no, know, as much as I can. It I, depends I, on I what once called show. a famous Broadway singer who shall remain nameless, and her assistant said to me, "Don't call before twelve. She takes no phone calls. She doesn't talk before noon." I don't have an assistant who speaks for me. First of all, <laughs> secondly, uh, I will speak to you, and then I'll rest later. Um, I protect my voice if I had laryngitis. I would protect my voice, uh, but I'm not going to be dramatic about what I do. I'm either going to live in it and enjoy it and have control over my own life, or I, I won't do it. Kelly O'Hara, not just an ingenue. If the light motif of our conversation was O'Hara's drive to get serious dramatic roles to shake her ingenue image, the story has a hopeful coda. This new project I'm working on, I can't talk about it, I'll mention it to you and you'll understand. Mm -hmm. It's the closest thing I've felt to letting this part of me out. It's an acting role, Mm -hmm. a serious acting role. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Okay, fine, I'll fess up. All the new summer stuff I got, it's on sale at Kohl's. And the deals are so good. Like our Sonoma Goods for Life patio furniture, it was 30% off. Got 30% off backyard games, too. And even picked up grilling tools for 20% off. Best part? I saved an extra 20% and got it in an hour with free store pickup. So now we're all set for summer, and I'm pretty sure we've got a cookout planned every weekend. Select styles, 20% offer ends June 27th. Some exclusions apply. See store or kohls.com for details. I'm Eric Galindo, the host of Wild. It's a new podcast where I get to talk to incredible people like comedian Chris Garcia about what it's like to become a father in the middle of the pandemic. So wild. 
I consciously was like, I can't have a kid right now. Like, it's just too much. And so I waited till I felt comfortable enough to like have a kid now during a pandemic at the end of the world. Listen to Wild by LA Studios on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.